ladies and gentlemen, tonight, the reigning, defending, 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 undisputed, universal, heavyweight champion, Wildcat Radio 2.0, bear down, you beautiful people. Welcome back, Wildcat Faithful, to the Wildcat Radio Podcast 2.0. Of course, my name is Ronnie Stoffel, and just as last week, I am back, joined by Mr. Brett Berry. Brett, how you doing, sir? Doing all right, man. How are you doing? Oh, hanging in there. Hanging in there. It was a lot of basketball uh, since the last time we talked. A lot of positive news, really, for Arizona men's and women's for different reasons. The women's is doing well. We'll touch on both their games. Uh, of course, recording this on Wednesday evening, the 24th. So um, spoiler alert, Arizona did take care of business to advance to the Sweet 16. We will break down uh, at a high level. Of course, those those two first, uh, those first two matchups in the NCAA tournament for them. But I also say it's good for the men, right? Because of uh, the PAC 12 seems to be the most dominant conference in, in men's basketball. And we'll touch on that too. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves there, but I think things are, things are going okay, man. Yeah. Just like we all called it the PAC 12 is killing it in the men's bracket. Uh, <laughs> but you know, the thing we did actually expect and hope for, or hoped for, but also expected, as opposed to Pac-12 performance in the tournament. The women's team is living up to expectations so far, which is very exciting. Conference of champions, right? I just wish I could see Bill Walton for every one of these games, men's and women's, right? That's good. Um, Before we get too far away from this, though, Brett, uh, housekeeping items. Subscribe to the podcast for free through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, etc., uh, any podcast catcher should pick up on this show. So please subscribe once again for free. Be sure to leave us a review as well. That definitely helps with our position out there specifically uh, in the Apple universe of podcasts. And good Lord, there are a lot. So uh, also follow the podcast on Twitter. As as I was reminded last week, uh, I guess that Brett is the main, the main handler now of that uh, Twitter handle, which is great. So always posting good stuff there. Be sure to follow him there. I think that's it. Um, well, actually, I guess we should give a shout out to, to the 12 pack radio. So I know that guy's going strong too. Um, you know, Brian's always doing good stuff. So keep an eye on the sister podcast over there as well. So with that, Brett, let's go ahead and hop in here. Um, as we said, women, women two and oh, so far. So let's go ahead and start with Monday's matchup, uh, versus Stony Brook. Um, Monday, I think it was at noon Arizona time, right? So for West Coast time, uh, you know, not sure what you were doing on your, on your lunch hour, um, but hopefully you tuned in to see U of A Lady Wildcats take care of Stony Brook. Final score, 79-44. Uh, it's kind of what we expected. Three seed versus 14 seed. Stony Brook, you know, obviously congrats to them for making the tournament. Arizona just took care of business the way that they should have uh, right out of the gates, right? After one quarter, 26, 10. Um, 
you know, of course, McDonald, 20 points, go figure, right? Leads the way, the high score for the Lady Cats. Um, pretty straightforward again, basically what we thought. Brett, any any takeaways for you on this? Anything noteworthy beyond the final score? I I think the, the biggest noteworthy thing is really, it jumps out in the final score, but also in the stats when you look at uh, steals that Arizona had. Arizona's defense, I, I think we all knew it was a good defensive team. But my God, they stifled Stony Brook, the Stony Brook Seawolves. They Stony Brook did not score more than twelve points in any quarter of that game, which is for a team that is a tournament worthy team and a team that you know they kind of had some similarities to Arizona and that they had a great year last year. Would have made the tournament for the first time in a long time. Uh, I think they were fifteen and five going into the tournament, but you know I, I think we all expected Arizona to win. I don't know if we expected. 35 points. <laughs> um, and I don't have the, the total number of steals. Uh, let me pull it up. Yeah. Arizona had 17 steals, 17, a, six, a plus 11. That's wild. I mean, 17 steals in, in, in what, a 40 minute game is kind of insanity. <laughs> it's impressive. It's nearly one for every two minutes. Right. So, I mean, that's yeah, very, very impressive there. And I, also to I, your point with the defense, they held Stony Brook to 29% shooting. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, 17 steals there <laughs> to, to put this in a, a frame of reference, Stony Brook had 14 made field goals, but Arizona had 17 steals. So we stole the ball more than they made a shot. <laughs> like that's, that's, that's dominance. Right. Um, so I think that was, that's, that was the real, you know, eye opening thing to me. They kind of, I guess, segs us into the BYU game that just finished a few hours ago as we're recording now, where it was a little tighter. Well, not a little tighter, a lot tighter game. Um, but Arizona kind of was down late and then had a flourish there towards the end, which was nice as I was getting off my day job, I got to kind of watch it. And Ari McDonald and Sam Thomas hit a couple back-to-back threes, Arizona's defense locked down. And, uh, Ari McDonald, I think had two or three steals in the last three or four minutes that basically helped seal the game. And that's exactly what you'd hope for, right? I mean, you're a key player coming up in big moments. Um, and, and let's actually start here, right? Kind of jumped ahead. Uh, BYU upset Rutgers in the first round. So in the 6-11 matchup, BYU, the 11 seed, um, prevailed. They moved on. And so you're already kind of thinking, you know, uh, what's sort of not really too sure what to expect, I guess. Um, you know, you see the double-digit seed you're facing, so you kind of take that a little bit into mind and maybe underestimate a little bit, but BYU definitely made uh, uh, Coach Barnes and Co. Uh, worry a little bit late, as you said. So, I mean, the final score here was 52 46, um, but it was very, I mean, it was very, very close throughout this one, really consistently throughout. I mean, you know, even, even just going back, I'm trying to see in the fourth quarter, the fourth quarter, I mean, it was all tied up entering the fourth quarter. Um, a lot of back and forth, you know, BYU had the lead actually had about a four point leader. So about five minutes to go, um, Ari McDonald hits a three point jumper to get them within a one score game. And then they really pull away from there, but, uh, BYU did not make it easy on them getting back to the team stats though, too. Right. I mean, BYU played good defense on them. Um, the field goal percentages, very similar. It was no Stony Brook where Arizona shot 58%, um, Definitely under 40 here. They both shot about 35%. Very even ball game. Very even ball game. All right. And that's very much depicted by the final score as well. 
Yeah, as as you as you mentioned, that was what fifty seven, fifty eight percent in the uh, Stony Brook game. Arizona dropped to thirty under thirty six percent shooting in the in the BYU game. I, I was kind of in and out watching the game, but then I got to catch most of the the last several minutes with a <laughs> high intent. <laughs> and uh, it's you know it you could see, there were there were times where Arizona was getting shots, they just weren't falling, even even like layups um, or open threes, but. You know, again, again, the defense, I think, is what maybe helped seal it because 11 steals in this game in a normal, you know, if I didn't just say that, you know, against Stony Brook, they had what, 17 steals, 11 would seem like an, an insane number. But the defense shows up that even when the shooting, were, the shots weren't falling and Arizona survives and advances. And now they're going to play probably the best number two seed in Texas A&M, who struggled a little bit in their game, uh, went into overtime and then they won on a buzzer beater. Right, Ronnie? They did. Yeah. So actually just before, probably about 30 minutes before, before we started recording, excuse me, it was, um, Iowa state, Texas A&M in the two seven matchup, uh, that was already in overtime, all tied up at 82 and, uh, A&M did get a last second buzzer to advance. So with that, that sets up the two, three matchup that, you know, you pretty much expected, right. Looking at this corner of the bracket of the tournament, you kind of knew, right. Arizona and A&M were the two best they're the two best teams, right? And of course, not a knock to BYU or Stony Brook or Rutgers. I mean, you know, BYU certainly uh, exceeded expectations, but it's just, uh, it was pretty clear throughout the year that Arizona and Texas A&M uh, were the best two of that bunch. And, you know, of course, fluky things happen, um, but in this case, they did not. So that sets up the 2-3 matchup uh, with A&M and Arizona. So you, uh, Brett, remind me of the odds. I, I think you looked for the probability of, uh, of the winner in this matchup. And what'd you come up with? So I was, I was perusing the, uh, <laughs> the love it or hate it site of 538, <laughs> the Nate Silver's baseball prospectus guy, famous for famous or infamous from political predictions, depending on the, the year of the election, I think. Uh, but they they usually do pretty good numbers on sports stuff. Um, and interestingly enough, they have uh, in real time they update their probabilities, and they have Arizona beating a and m at a uh, at fifty seven percent of the time to forty three percent and setting up a matchup most likely with NC state, but it's all chalk in in the Mercado bracket. But you know a and m, like we talked about last week, is in my opinion, clearly the the best two seed and maybe could have been a one seed. so they're you know, maybe it's maybe it's just the homer in me, or maybe it's the stats lying or not lying. But you know, Nate Silver and five thirty eight think Arizona is the odds on favorite as of right now. Well, I will tell you what. Um, according to the women's tournament challenge, um, the first place bracket, Dennis Crandall, uh, number seven, is actually the bracket uh, or his submission title. Uh, also agrees with Nate Silver. Uh, this man has only missed two games through the first two rounds of the women's NCAA tournament. And so, you know, you feel he's got a good little groove going. One, one of those misses, by the way, was the BYU Rutgers game. Um, but looking at this matchup, he has Arizona prevailing. Looking at the first, you know, the first two games of AM, right? I mean, you know, Iowa State, a seven seed respectable, doesn't matter how you draw it. I mean, seven seed is always respectable, right? And so the fact that they took AM to overtime and nearly double overtime says a lot. But, you know, getting back to the old 
uh, the, the, the old little league adage of good teams win close games, right? Uh, A&M has pulled out that one. And then in their first matchup, uh, the two fifteen matchup with Troy, they won 84 80. So they're consistently putting up points, but they are maybe playing down, uh, to their opponents a little bit. Right. So obviously that's not a knock, uh, to their opponents necessarily. Um, we were saying that Texas A&M is a very solid team this year, uh, as, as indicated by their seating. Uh, and then depending on how you also want to draw out, you know, if you want to rank those top two seeds. Um, but the point being, they've needed points to get by, right? They haven't necessarily done it with defense. And if we know anything, defense wins games a lot of the times, right? Uh, So in this case here, Arizona has shown the ability to put up points, play defense. Also then maybe when their shots weren't falling, really rely on defense and kind of grind out close games. So, um, Hey, Nate Silver, this, this is not an election, right? So I I'm fine. I'm fine. Trusting him on that. Um, yeah, I mean, that game is now teed up for uh, next week, the 29th, so next Monday. Um, we'll see. We'll see where that takes us. You know, it's it's interesting, Ronnie. I actually, they have an option for picking your time of uh, when you look at the forecast and pre-tournament. They, only, they did not have Arizona as the favorite pre-tournament uh, if everything went chalk, according to their probability. So maybe the uh, A&M's underperformance in the first two weeks are showing up. Uh, and meanwhile, Arizona's finding ways to win. Like this, the, the game against BYU today, that's a game that a, a decent team that's not great loses, right? Yeah. No, I, th- I think that's fair, right? And, and Rutgers, right? I mean, that, that, yeah, totally. that's Rutgers, basically. Um, obviously a higher seed. Um, Rutgers was, and, uh, they lost by three in a close one. I mean, it was a little bit more high scoring 69, 66. Um, but BYU definitely caught them off guard. They try to do the same with Arizona. Uh, one quick correction, uh, the A&M game, the sweet 16 game, A&M and Arizona is actually on Saturday, the 27th, the winner advances and will play the winner of NC state and Indiana on the 29th. So the next two games, if Arizona is so lucky to play, excuse me, in the next two games that will be Saturday, then Monday. All right. Yeah. I I'm excited for that one. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, no, I think it's going to be it. No matter what, it's great exposure. Right. And the team has worked very hard for this and we know what they're capable of doing. Right. Um, and, and actually, wow. And should also be noted. Make sure I see this. I was, before we started recording, it was halftime of the Texas UCLA game. Oh, Texas is, Texas is destroying them right now. They're taking them to the woodshed a little bit. So as, as we're recording this three seventeen left in the third quarter, UCLA is losing 47 31 UCLA, of course, outed, uh, took care of Arizona in the PAC 12 tournament, the semifinals, Arizona's PAC 12 championship tournament hopes were cut short by UCLA. Um, looks like though, UCLA might not make it to the sweet 16. So it's, you know, so it's always tough, right? Not winning the conference tournament championship. Um, but of course it matters more of, you know, how far you make in the tournament. So that's got to feel good. Yeah. But our, uh, the PAC 12 is showing up because we still have Stanford, Oregon and Arizona in the sweet 16, even if, if UCLA doesn't make it in the women's bracket. And then Lord knows the in the men's bracket, mm. the PAC 12 has been, far exceeding most of our expectations through two rounds. That is a great teaser. So let's go ahead and take a quick break and then we'll jump into the men's side of the action. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Brett, so hopping back into this here. Took care of the ladies in the first segment. Uh, The next segment, let's go ahead and jump into it. Um, As we are recording this, I guess it depends how you want to technically score the no contest of Oregon VCU. Um, if you want to score it as a victory, which I mean, they did advance. So I could understand that piece of the argument. Um, I believe is the count. Then the pack is nine and one because everybody advanced to the second round. All five teams advanced to the second round and Colorado was the only pack 12 school to lose in the second round. So there are four of the five pack 12 schools that made it to the men's tournament are playing in the sweet 16. Well, first of all, COVID remains undefeated on the basketball <laughs> season. Fair. <laughs> um, and I'm pretty sure last week when we talked, I was actually fairly bullish on most of the Pac-12 matchups. I think I called every team except for Colorado to win. And then, of course, in round one, Colorado, you know, just uh, who they, I forget who they played, but they just smoked. Georgetown. Uh, yeah, Georgetown. They just mm. destroyed them. But then they also proved me right in my... Uh, exasperated why is Colorado the highest rated pack team in the tournament when they are the first team to have lost. But uh, I, yeah. I'm both, I'm, I'm both surprised because I still don't think that the pack 12 conference is as good as the nine and one record or eight, one and one to COVID. Um, so, yeah, I guess my, my thoughts on that, Brett, and, and I, I don't think that uh, too many people will disagree with that. Um, but as we know, and it's just like anytime, you know, Arizona has faced an early exit from the tournament over the years, it's always about the draw. Right. And so, um, the draw dictates everything. Now, I think that the argument could be made that the Oregon's, the USC's, they were totally underseated. Right. Oh, definitely. Um, I mean, so, so I think that that certainly helps things, but if, if you're going to look at Oregon state and, and I know, and I know I said this last week, you know, do not trust actually two things. I said that, that kind of proved true. One, don't ever trust Rick Barnes, that poor guy, you know, Tennessee and the, the, the five twelve matchup, right. 12 is historically uh, known for upsetting the fives. What at least one time that happens uh, every year, it seems like. So uh, Rick Barnes, that, that just had it set up for a nightmare for him. The other being off, but but of course, never trust Texas was the other thing, right? I know you and I were texting a little bit about that. Um, actually, do you want to take the next thirty seconds to console your brother-in-law? Oh man, he uh, was a little bit sad. I also have a really good friend who's a huge Illinois fan, and he was also upset. So, uh, to my brother-in-law Edmund, if you are if you are listening, I apologize. I don't apologize. I, I sympathize. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, I, my, my Illinois fan friend, I also texted him when he was upset and I was like, you know, part of the beauty of March is that it, the, the, the other side of that coin is the agony and the fear of that agony is partially what makes the times when you win 
uh, all the sweeter. But the, the the nonsense that is college basketball and the March Madness tournament, the things we love about it is that the best team actually rarely wins the tournament. It's such a crapshoot. And I think there's so much parody in men's college basketball. You know, I think we talked about it last week. Like, I'm not so sure that the Pac-12 is that great. I agree that specifically USC and Oregon were, were under underseeded. I actually had Oregon in the Elite Eight, and I felt really confident about that as a seven seed. Um, and I had... Oregon state beating Tennessee in round one. I didn't necessarily have them beating Oklahoma state. Um, but I think that there's such parody in men's college basketball now, especially when you get to March, it's, it's just such a crapshoot because the difference between a one or two seed and a 10 through 13 seed is so much smaller than it used to be. And, you know, <laughs> for, for, for quality of coaching or talent or what have you, the PAC 12 is coming up roses this year. Maybe it's just that Larry Scott resigned. And then I've seen that on Twitter that Larry Scott resigns that the PAC 12 goes on a run. Um, I mean, it's good for the conference though, you know, going forward, but it's, it's, (laughs) I, 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 I would not, I, I was bullish in the first round. I was less, I was more bearish on the pack in the second round other than, other than Oregon. Um, but USC and Oregon success does not surprise me because I think I called USC the most talented and Oregon the best team at the conference. Oregon State, I thought would beat Tennessee, and I thought they were un- way, way, way underseated. And I thought UCLA is the third most talented team probably in the conference, so they were way underseated at 11 seed. But, you know, things have fallen out in a, in a very interesting way. Uh, and c- compared to the Big Ten that everybody, the consensus opinion was, oh, this is the, the best conference by far. And what's their combined record? It's almost the inverse, right? Like they've lost almost all their games. Yeah, I don't. I mean, we can look at. Um, I'll I'll try to tee that up here um, while we're moving on. But I, it's not a good look for the Big Ten, and not to mention, you know, and then that also makes you even think, you know, well, then how good is Michigan too, right? Because the Ohio State's, uh, Illinois. Um, Purdue loses to North Texas in the first round. Um, you know, Wisconsin took it to UNC, but then, you know, they lost pretty bad to Baylor. So as to be expected, right. Uh, Maryland, uh, Maryland had a nice showing in the first round against UConn, but then they got smoked, uh, Rutgers, you know, they, they took care of business against Clemson in 10, seven, but then they lost a close one to Houston. So, I mean, you know, that, that stuff that's going to happen. Um, the, what blows my mind and the way that this gets set up, I guess, I guess two thoughts, and this is me you know, pat myself on the back a little bit because I absolutely had USC and Oregon facing each other at this point. Uh, the, the one thing that I did have though, that went wrong through that little, uh, through those you know, six games that took place um, was Eastern Wash. I had Eastern Washington actually beating Kansas. So if I had to redo that and I knew that USC and Kansas were going to be playing, um, I certainly would have had more reservation about advancing <laughs> USC. Um, and that proved to be just not true at all. There would have been a very, ra- that would have been a very irrational feeling as it turns out, because USC just ran Kansas off the floor. Final score, there was 85 51. 
Um, not even really close at all for the second half. You know, there were times as you were approaching halftime that felt like Kansas was trying to get it closer. Uh, just not the case. So that sets up a pretty bummer matchup in my mind in the sweet 16 that USC and Oregon have to play each other. And, you know, not both of those teams will have the opportunity to advance to the elite eight, because I definitely think the way that everything has now shaken out um, you know, with Oral Roberts as a 15 seed in the sweet 16 or, you know, uh, Loyola, you know, credit to Loyola talking about Illinois an eight seed they've advanced um, Syracuse, Jim Beheim, you know, it, it really feels like had the cards been drawn slightly different and I don't even know why, yeah, USC and Oregon would be put on, on, on this collision course this early in the tournament. Um, but, you know, had it you know, maybe been a little bit more traditional and keeping them, you know, away from each other a little bit, um, we could have had more success, you know, beyond what they've done already. And they've certainly exceeded expectations, certainly overperformed at this point. The Oregon State thing to me is really nuts, too, because not only are they riding momentum, they are in a very winnable place to advance to the Elite Eight. Right. I mean, Loyola, I know, looked very good against Illinois. They they really handled Georgia Tech, too. You know, that, that was the final score. There was only by 11 points. But they really I, I watched that game because I so desperately wanted Georgia Tech to cover five and a half. Did not happen. Um, but, you know, I can speak to that game because I did watch it. Georgia. I mean, they, they just they played Georgia Tech very, very well. That carried over to Illinois. And we'll see what happens against Oregon State. But the thought of having, you know, we could have three pac 12 teams in the elite eight. I mean, that's, that's and anybody who says anybody who says that that's how they drew it up and really believe that is probably lying to you, Brett. Yeah. I, I think you're, well, you're, you have to have at least one. I think you're almost assured to have at least two pac 12 teams in the elite eight. Um, you know, I think UCLA can beat Alabama. I think Oregon State can beat Loyola. I think Loyola is a is a is a tough team. You know, to your point, if you put USC or Oregon in the Midwest bracket, man, I think they make the Final Four. I think either of those teams beats Houston and and and, and Syracuse and Loyola and Oregon State. <laughs> um, the West bracket with Gonzaga, Creighton, USC, and Oregon. To me, that is by far the most the best, most talented set of four teams in the sweet 16 of any of the brackets. Um, but, you know, I look at you at UCLA versus Alabama. I think UCLA has great guard play and it, great guard play goes a long way in March. It's, 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 it's shaken out, you know, exactly as we all drew it up, Ronnie. Um, yeah. The pac 12 is overperforming and the, like, you know, I've been, I, I, I'm not convinced that the pac 12 is is actually that good of a conference overall. I think they're just peaking at the right time, had some breaks go their way. Um, we're un- had some teams that were underseated and, and parody is playing out and clearing some paths for them. But if I don't know, if I'm, if I'm Gonzaga right now, I feel really good about my life, but I'm also horrified of playing the winner of USC, Oregon. <laughs> Let's actually let's, let's let's touch on that one because anybody who's listening to this is obviously a U of A fan, specifically U of A hoops fan. So I'm sure we all share the same feelings of disdain for Gonzaga as a whole. Um, so with that in mind, and obviously wanting to see Gonzaga not skate to the Final Four because you know I think that everybody kind of just thought that that's what was going to happen. Um, 
which one of USC or Oregon do you think gives them the biggest challenge to, to break through to the final four? Ooh, that's a really good question. And I was going to say, I'm actually really excited for USC Oregon to give us the title game that I wanted to see in the Pac-12 conference tournament because USC has the harder matchups and the more talented team, basically because I think Evan Mobley is not even close to reach his potential, but I think he is clearly, you know, a top two or three pick in the NBA draft this coming season. And then Oregon runs out five guys in their starting lineup that are, you know, all six, five to six, seven, but they're, they're very skilled. I, to answer your question, if I was going to bet money on who gives the tougher matchup for Gonzaga more consistently, I'm going to say Oregon, but if Evan Mobley plays to his potential, I think he can single-handedly beat Gonzaga. Cause I don't think they have an answer for him. If that makes sense. That but, does make sense. And I think I agree with everything you said. And, and the reason that I would actually take Oregon, well, I guess there's two reasons. One, Dana Altman, right? So, I mean, this time of the year too, coaching absolutely matters, right? And Dana Altman has proven to be the best Pac-12 coach probably like three years ago, like four years ago. Um, and, he, and he's consistently, um, you know, sat on that throne, I think, you know, from then till now. Uh, beyond that too, the guard play and just the shooting is a big thing. And, you know, I noticed this um, in our last game of the season when we had to go up to Eugene and Oregon was just shooting lights out from three. You know, it, U of A did not play a bad game up in Eugene. It was just Oregon. You could tell as they do catch fire towards the end of the season and they were just rolling. It was just firing on all cylinders and they were knocking. I mean, they, they were just knocking down threes, like no two ways about it. Anytime Arizona would try to close the gap of uh, the score, it, it just, we were just, it was like Wisconsin 2015. I mean, there was just no two ways about it. So, um, and you saw a little bit of that too in Iowa, I think, or not a little bit, actually a lot of bit of that. I mean, they dominated that game and a lot of that had to do with just knocking down those shots and there was nothing that Iowa could do. So I think from that standpoint, you know, because I think the athleticism between the two teams is, is, is fairly similar. I think that, I think that the talent is much greater on USC um, just because I, I, I think like just the physical traits as well. Right. So I think that the length and then you, know, they, you flip back and forth between man and that zone D um, as you saw with Kansas, that ate Kansas alive. They didn't know what to do. And so I think, you know, that also poses a, a, a decent hurdle. I think for Gonzaga, quite frankly, the winner, whether it be USC or Oregon, I actually think USC is going to win this game, but you know, whichever one wins, I, I think is going to be a worthy opponent for Gonzaga and would not surprise me if they ultimately take out Gonzaga because this is always the knock to Gonzaga, right? Um, they try to tee up the, the non-conference at the beginning of the year. And, and, you know, at the beginning of the year, that that's where a lot of teams, it, it's, it's, it's always the Boise state thing, right? You know, the Boise state thing in your three or four non-conference games that they schedule, they try to get like the Oregon or, you know, or like the Washington or something right early in the year when things aren't really rolling yet. Right. Like people are still like, Oh yeah, football season's back. It's easy for them to get up for those games. And it's a marathon for these other schools that play real schedules. So, you know, they tried it again this year, of course, um, you know, they did play West Virginia, 
West Virginia is certainly no slouch. They pulled out a close one early in the year. Uh, they also took care of Kansas. You know, I guess you know, grade both of those as you will with the information we have now. They they definitely handled uh, Iowa, but I mean, what is Iowa really? If if we're you know, the way that we can grade the Big Ten now, like how do you really grade Iowa? So I mean, yes, yes, they're a good team, but like, are they really? You know, like were they championship caliber? I don't think so. You know, Virginia is another one. They had a very impressive win over Virginia. Now, all this is not to say, like, I'm not calling them a bad team. I'm just saying that I don't know how battle tested they've actually been. And I also don't know actually how good they are, right? I'm poking holes in the opponents. So um, whoever wins USC, Oregon um, would not surprise me if, if, if it's Oregon, I, Oregon probably gives them the better, like I said, uh, the, 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 or, or the greater challenge. Um, I actually think USC is going to win that game. Um, but either way, man, they're, they're going to have their hands full and I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Yeah. I think the way I would phrase it is if USC plays their best to their potential, they can, they can not just win against Gonzaga. They can beat them down. I'm not sure Oregon can run away from Gonzaga, but I think they can be the more consistent challenge to Gonzaga. So like if I, you know, it's almost like a, it's a probability. It's, it's, it's it, 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 it's basically, it, it's, it's a simulation, right? If you ran, if yeah. you ran that 10 times, Oregon probably wins like six or something. If you run it 10 times for USC, they maybe win like three or four, right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. But those three or four, they might win by 15. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and so it's, it's, I mean, we're all, we're also assuming that Gonzaga is going to beat Creighton, which is not, a given oh, chalk it up. Come on. I, I hate seeing that too, man. Like I know Creighton fine Creighton's, you know, they're a good program, right? And they're five seed respectable fine, but it's just such a, I just hate when Gonzaga gets these type of breaks. It drives me nuts. Yeah. I, I, I guess I mainly mentioned that because I can just see us hyping up this like elite eight matchup that I think is geared up to be the premier elite eight game and then Gonzaga just loses in the sweet 16 to Creighton and just be I like, love it. I would you know, love it. if that happens, I'm confident that either USC or Oregon would beat Creighton. Yes. Um, 100%. And you know, it's, it's, I'm looking at the bracket and I just, I, I can, man, it's, you know, you were talking about all these like earlier in the season matchups for Gonzaga against these other schools, but like, at the same time, I was an Arizona fan. This is an Arizona podcast, after all. Oregon State is in the you know Sweet Sixteen, and we beat them by thirty-four damn points <laughs> um, on their home and, court. And and like, was that a little bit of a fluke? Sure, but like, you know, like I don't know. I, I guess one one thing to wrap this up for a question for you, Ronnie: If Arizona was in this tournament, they snuck in or made a run in the tournament, and they were somewhere in those kind of mid seed rankings. How do they do? Where are they at right now? So I was thinking, I'm glad you asked. Cause I was thinking about that a lot over the weekend. Right. So in, in order to answer that though, you kind of have to go back to square one, which is where would they have been seated in the PAC 12 tournament? They would have been seated five. They would have played Cal and then, right. So they would have played U- UCLA that completely changes everything that happened with Oregon state because Oregon state would have had to go through on the other side, which means they probably would have, well, if they would have been the six eleven was 11 Washington or Washington state, I think it was Washington. So they probably would have beaten Washington. Then that jumps into the three seed, which I don't remember if that was USC 
or who was the, whatever it was, my point is they were going to have to probably run into USC at some point. I don't think that they would have beaten USC. Um, and, and so I, I know they beat Oregon, but they played Oregon for the third time. And, you know, they, yes, yes, things were moving, um, but it just seemed like a harder path, right? So let's just then take Oregon State out of the equation. I think that ultimately what would have happened was Arizona would have been a toss up uh, if they beat UCLA or not. Let's just say that they did not beat UCLA. That would have bumped UCLA up. And then just to make things easy, U of A would have been one of those two play-ins, right? For, for, for those, for that group of 11, the last four in, um, they would have played Michigan state. Let's just keep that the same. I, I think that they would have beaten Michigan state. I, I as, as it's shown so far, I think that the, that the big 10 is just was overrated. Right. So I think that people are just putting way too much into the big 10. Um, let's just say that they won. Okay. Well then they would have had to have beaten BYU. I think they would have beaten BYU and then everything else would shake out the way it has. They would have played Abilene Christian and they would be in the sweet 16. So, you know, if all of that played out, I think that they would be in the exact same spot that UCLA is currently, which is um, that's awesome. So I, I think then like the counter to that is Brett uh, kick it back to you so we can wrap this segment up. If that's how it was going to go, would you take that right now, knowing that you are in the Sweet 16 playing Alabama, which we don't actually know how good Alabama is either, because this is a very down year or so we think for the for the SEC. Javon Quinterly, by the way, that hurts my heart every time I see him tearing it up over there. But sticking to what we know right now, they're they're matched up with uh, with with Alabama in the Sweet 16, a chance to go on to the Elite Eight. With what we know right now, do you take that? Or do you still do the self-imposed ban just to get out of the way? Oh, <laughs> you, you took me from going from an optimistic thing to like a, a more ouch kind of question. Can, can I, can I answer that if, and when Sean Miller gets an extension? <laughs> And and so that kind of plays into it too, right? I mean, I I think at that point you absolutely force the hand of the extension, no questions asked. Like he well, yeah. probably was locked up yesterday if this is how it played out. Well, and I was thinking about that earlier today that like if Arizona was postseason eligible and some and was in that position today, right? And let's just assume they even they win that game, go to the Elite Eight, overperform, you know. 50-50 chance at the final four. I think that drives me crazy of all the Sean Miller takes and all the Sean Miller haters. If he made a final four, all these people complaining about allegations of cheating would shut the hell up and be like, well, at least he's winning, which is why I don't put any weight behind any of their holier than thou BS. <laughs> um, yeah. So answer the long, question. We need an answer. Yeah. Right now. Do you take it or you keep it as is? Long-term, I keep it as is. I think it was still the smarter thing to do. I think but, I'm with you. I, th I, th I think I'm with you. But, the, you know, in this hypothetical, I'm not so sure we go into the UCLA spot or we go into the Oregon State spot. Um, or in a weird alternate scenario, if Arizona goes on a run and wins the Pac-12 tournament, the worst case for them, in my mind, is actually to be a higher seed, be an 8-9 seed and face a 1 seed in round two. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So, yeah, right. I mean, and yeah, like, th th those there's so many per are but like if I, if I was in UCLA spot in the sweet 16 against Michigan, Florida state or Alabama, that's not an easy way to get to the final four. But if you put yourself in the Oregon state bracket, you know, I'm going to take your question and flip it on its head a little bit and say like, 
I might change my answer if Arizona was in a Sweet 16 bracket with Loyola, Syracuse, and Houston because my God, I feel really good about a Final Four there. <laughs> yeah, i I think that's I think that's totally fair. And you know, Baylor is tough, but I, you know, think of it too as the the South: Baylor, Villanova, who's super banged up, Arkansas, or Oral Roberts. So you know, we might actually end up replacing. Villanova in that scenario, but I, I know your whole point there was if we're an eight, nine or, or, um, yeah. you know, the 12, but yeah, no, I'm with you. No, I, I, okay. I, I think we agree there on that. That, that, that makes sense to me. Uh, all right, Brett, let's, um, take another quick break and guess what? There was football and a Jed fish coached football team was seen this week. We're going to get to that in just a sec. All right, Brett. So getting back here for the last segment to wrap things up. Um, there was football spring football has begun. Um, you know, spring football did begin last year, um, but was obviously rudely cut short due to the pandemic. Um, seems like we should be able to complete everything here. The spring game is scheduled for noon Arizona time on Saturday, April 24th. Mark your calendars for that. Definitely looking forward to watching that. Um, Brett, let's actually start with kind of the crummy news and then we can jump into the good news, I guess. So um, it was reported, right, you know, before practice took place, there was a spring roster that became available from Jedfish. On that roster, the following names were not included. Bobby Wolf, Nathan Tilford, Trey Adams, um, Quabina Watson, and I'm sorry for probably butchering that first name, but he was the redshirt freshman, you know, probably one of the higher end freshmen that was signed two years ago, uh, expected to do things, you know, expected to be a contributor at the linebacker position. Um, Jalen Cochran, who am I missing? I, I'm sure we're missing a couple more. Miles Tapusoa. Okay. Yep. Yep. He was expected to be, you know, another big body up front and actually, we can get into these a little bit more, but you know, up to this point, he had been a bit, a bit of a disappointment. I think that there was a lot of hype coming in because he filled a position of need. And I understand Kevin Sumlin with the whole inside out approach, really beefing up the lines. He was expected to contribute there. Never really materialized. Not really sure what's happening. Um, if I missed anybody else, please correct me, Brett, but where we're at with those names. Oh, Darian Clark is another one. I forgot about Darian Clark. Yeah. That's, that's the one I think you missed. So um, I was about to mention that. So he's, he's gone, right? So that is three, four, um, five, six, six names, six recognizable names are not on this roster. What are your thoughts? So there's, I, I have a couple of diverging thoughts here. Cause I think the biggest names by like recruiting hype are also some of those guys that are maybe cautionary tales of hype and star rankings are not necessarily the end all be all um, looking at you, Nathan Tilford, Bobby Wolf, even miles Tapusoa. Um, actually Jalen Croc Cochran was actually a pretty, I think he was a three-star guy, but I think he was a pretty highly touted three-star guy. He's had a lot of injuries and he was just, a rich rod had, guy, right? I think so. And I, th yeah. you know, he, I think he half quit the team a few times was kind of mm -hmm. a homesick kid. Um, you know, honestly, the, if I look through this list, I'm disappointed in somebody like Bobby Wolf, who has all the talent, but never like, you know, there was a lot of talk that he, you know, there's a reason why he wasn't getting on the field. Right. And I know in his first spring, it was like, Oh, he's finding out college football is not high school football. Um, 
and Miles Tapusoa, it's, <laughs> I think we all have a knee jerk reaction to freaking out anytime we actually lose even a competent, large bodied, able bodied person <laughs> that can play on the defensive line. Fair. But I would contend that he probably disappointed more than most, mm-hmm. uh, at least on the, on the, certainly on the defensive line. Um, and there, there's been some young talent that has started to show flashes there and, and some guys that are coming back. Uh, but also the, the scheme is changing. Tapasoa seems more of like a three, four nose tackle type, uh, more so than a four, three, uh, defensive tackle. in in, in my mind, um, Kobena Watson showed some flashes. Darian Clark actually, I think is might, might be the guy who I had bigger expectations for, even though he's a little bit undersized as a linebacker, you know, showed up early as a a special teams kind of ace. And, you know, the running joke is uh, we, I'm looking forward to having linebackers plural on the roster. And here we lose Darian Clark and Kobena Watson at a position that was already going to be relying on, you know, some, some transfers uh, and then a bunch of unproven youth. (laughs) So that's, that's probably what's most concerning to me. Um, You know, Nathan Tilford and Trey Adams are both guys that I think everybody thought maybe could produce or had, they passed the eye test, I guess is the way to put it. But, you know, there's, there's a lot more things that go into being able to see the field and see the field effectively. So it's it's hard it's hard to really you know good bad or indifferent what the, these changes mean that i think the name impacts in terms of the hype from recruiting and thinking back and what the expectations were is probably bigger than what the on-field impact loss is going to be and it's kind of a reminder of don't just look at oh bobby wolf is a four-star guy therefore he's going to be a, a, a superstar um star guy versus the flash in the pan potential four star guy that may flame out. Um, you know, you don't want to lose guys, but it's, you know, there's, there's, there's no way around it. Uh, I'm just going to say it in the most blunt way possible. If you were a big name on a team that has lost 12 straight games, maybe losing a big name is not a problem. I, I think that's fair. And, and I also want to, I also want to make it clear that if any of these young men want to rejoin the team, I'm all for it. Right. Because these are clearly oh, um, quality players that it, we, you know, we should not scoff at that. Like we need quality depth uh, as shown in the last game of last season. Um, to me, the one that probably hurts the most, you know, um, I, I would say is probably Darian Clark. And, and the reason I think Darian Clark hurts the most is, Yes. Um, you know, linebackers, you made a joke about it, right? You know, it's fun to say, you know, plural that we have linebackers plural there. Um, and that is still pretty much the case, right? Trey Sean Hayward and Jerry Roberts are coming over, um, from the Mac, but I guess to me, it would have been nice to have the Darian Clark there too. Um, who I feel like he had flashes at times, right? He seemed like a competent guy. Um, you know, losing those type of players already at a shallow position group hurts. It, it, I mean, it just hurts, right? I mean, Trey Adams, 
that's fine. You know, Trey Adams and Nathan Tilford, I, I, I think will survive. You know, you could also then make the case for Bobby Wolf, but for some reason, you know, Bobby Wolf really wasn't finding the field, um, you know, in this first year. And then actually, correct me if I'm wrong on this, what, did, he opted out last year. Is that right? Bobby Wolf? I, I believe yeah, he had opted I, out. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, and, yeah, I, and, anyway, but I, th- I think opt-outs and even among these transfers, I think there's a lot more going into, you know, you, you mentioned how like you'd welcome back most of these guys with open arms. And I, I, and I agree with that sentiment. And I think, you know, just like opting out, it wasn't as simple as like, you know, there, there are different reasons that go into those decisions for players. And there's different reasons that are going into players that are no longer on the roster of their own volition. Right. Um, like, I think that I, I, I know in some of the boards, like, uh, Jason Shear does a good job talking about how some of these guys have things in personal lives or or whatnot, or, you know, there's, there are things that I don't hold any ill will towards any player. Um, it, 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 the ones that I think are the, uh, I think you've, uh, you, you settled it on the ones that are probably the most impactful or the most like eyebrow raising are probably Jerry and Clark and Quibena Watson, because they're at a position of need. They're relatively young guys. Um, you know, Bobby Wolf had some, had some, there's been rumblings of some questions about his motivation. Uh, the talent is certainly there and Lord knows we could use talent on this roster. But motivation uh, matters though, too, right? You yeah. got somebody who cares and wants to be there. I mean that, that I would almost take that over just pure talent. Cause I don't want somebody that's turning it on, turning it off. Oh, you should. I, I am a thousand percent of the, I want a roster made up of guys that hate to lose over guys that like to win million times out of a million. Right. Yeah. And that, that does not mean the most talented guys. And in, especially in college football, that kind of, that, that, that approach, dare I, dare I say, uh, people that take it personally, yeah. you're, you're welcome, Jed fish. I'm, I'm buying <laughs> into the brand hashtag. It's personal. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, we'll, we'll see, you know, we had, we had, uh, I think today was day two of spring spring practice. It was, um, we, you know, so I, we, we will get more for sure on that. Yeah. I think, I think I'm really curious to see where we're at, um, by, you know, the end of spring and the spring game, I think, you know, the practices are open. We'll probably have more of a sense of what's going on with this roster, where the talent level is, where this, you know, the adoption of the new schemes are, um, you know, some guys like Nathan Tilford have all the running talent in the world, but if you can't pick up a blitz, you can't go on the field without everybody knowing that you're getting the ball. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, kind of reading between the lines, that's what Nathan Tilford's challenge is. But I think he also maybe had some other personal life things that dictated his decisions um, to not be on the roster. So I, it's, I, I nominally, it seems bad, but in terms of on the field impact, I'm not sure. Uh, the impact will be as great as people might fear. Fair, fair. Um, let's jump to so I, two more things and two more things, and we'll call it good for this week. Um, before we jump to some commitments and crystal ball um, predictions, um, let's focus on the quarterback room, right? Because obviously, with the departure of Grant Canal, that that that's a big uh, worrisome point, right? And and 
Totally fair, right? Because uh, quarterback's a pretty important position. So, um, as we all know, just as a recap for everyone, you know, keeping score at home, you know, make sure this is how you have it too, right? So, Will Plummer, Kevin Doyle, those guys were on the roster, right? So, we knew coming into the Jedfish era that those guys were carryovers. Grant Cano, as I said, had moved on. Um, with that, or excuse me, Luke Ashworth was also a, a carryover, right? Yeah, the okay. old walk-on player. So Will Plummer, Luke Ashworth, Kevin Doyle, those three were carryovers. Um, Gunnar Cruz from Washington State, local kid, local to the Valley, uh, committed. Left Washington State, chose Arizona, liked what he saw there or what was pitched to him with Jed Fish. Great. Uh, Nick Moore, um, interesting, not Matt Moore, right? Uh, his younger brother, Nick Moore, uh, also now in the quarterback room, um, somehow – and we'll get into the, we'll get into that. I was about to call it contract details. No, just kidding. If the NCAA is listening, that didn't happen. It was the scholarship count trying to still figure out how that works. If he's listed as a walk-on or not, but the, besides the point doesn't matter. Um, there's also Cameron feats um, kind of a, you know, just yes. Cameron feats is there as well. Um, the other name that is not here currently, but will show up for fall ball before the season starts Jordan McLeod. So Jordan McLeod is finishing up uh, his degree with the University of South Florida. He has been competent. I mean, of everybody that we've listed, he has not only been competent, but he has also the most experience of anybody that we just talked about, right? Will Plummer was plugged in for a couple valuable games last year, um, had flashes. That's fine. Gunnar Cruz, a little bit of experience. It's all in all really nothing it pales in comparison to what we know about Jordan McLeod. It is expected at this point that Jordan McLeod is very much in the running for the starting job, even though he is not here in the spring. With all that said, Jed Fish did speak to how he felt that the quarterbacks did today or yesterday and day one. Uh, he spoke very highly of Will, uh, Will Plummer as well as Gunnar Cruz. Now, I think there's probably should be no surprises there. Um, the only thing, and obviously this is day one of, you know, the month long spring ball session. Um, but I think to me, it does maybe make Will Plummer a little bit more of a dark horse. And I think that, you know, maybe to your point that the guys that, that really care and want to be there, Will Plummer strikes me as that guy had flashes last year. I'm going to wrap this up by asking you a quick question before we jump over to commitments. How do you, what are your thoughts? I mean, is Will Plummer, should he be, should he be categorized as a true dark horse in this whole thing? Or is he still kind of, I'm glad he's flashing, but we know he's not a legitimate contender to win the starting job. I mean, as a Gilbert tiger alum, I should root for Will Plummer. Um, I, 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 I feel like Will Plummer has this weird, like, both front runner and dark horse at the same time. But I think that can also apply to Jordan McLeod and, uh, and Gunnar Cruz. Uh, also you left off who's arriving later is Braden Zermano, who was a, a walk-on quarterback. That was a three-star guy that had scholarship offers and came to Arizona. Um, if, if, if you put a gun to my head and say who I think is starting the first game, I'm probably going to go with Gunnar Cruz. I think he has really, I, I, I think he, fits more with what I'm I, I'm kind of projecting what I'm guessing the offense looks like. And I think he fits that 
uh, billing a little bit more than either Will Plummer or Jordan McLeod. You know, under center, more play actions thrown to the tight end. Big, big guy, big arm, be able to throw the deep pass. Will Plummer is kind of more, in my mind, is more gunslinger and like competitor and kind of a feisty guy that will has like you know a little bit of like maybe like a little Jake Plummer type game to him where he's he he's a little bit mobile but he's not fast he he's willing to take chances and sometimes it pays off sometimes not i'm not sure if that fits with a lineup with two tight ends run play actions type offense um it's it's really where i'm coming from so i i think it's fair to call him a dark horse even though he's the guy that <laughs> has actually started a game as an Arizona Wildcat uh, mm-hmm. at quarterback. Um, and then Jordan McLeod coming in with the most experience, but he's also the latest to arrive and a moderately different skill set than either of them. He probably more aligns with Will Plummer's skill set in my mind. Yeah, more dual threat and can take off. Yeah. Yeah. So like I said, gun to my head, or if I was going to put a put money on the table, I'm going to go with Gunner Cruz starting starting game one. Um, but I, you know, I don't feel, I would not want to bet my life on that. I'll just put it that way. You sure? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I do not want to bet my life on that. <laughs> Beautiful. All right. We will do a true up on this, um, come opening day. So we'll see where we stand on that. Yeah. Um, I, I, the Gunner Cruz thing, I wouldn't be opposed to, I, I think that, and Jed fish even alluded to this in, in his interview was, it was nice to see what four or five straight possessions that went to the tight end and Gunnar Cruz has the zip, the consistency, and apparently the eye for that too. So they're going to try to work in the tight ends for real, right? Not, not to the end of the rich rod where you hear that or the Kevin Sumlin trash years, but um, it definitely seems legit. Let's wrap it up here. There was some recruiting news. Um, so Jermaine Wiggins, um, son of the former NFL tight end, uh, Jermaine Wiggins out of the Massachusetts area. Uh, he is committed uh, or excuse me, out of the main area, excuse me, uh, New England, eh, New England. Uh, we'll j- leave it that uh, he is committed as an athlete. According to the 247 database, he is currently unranked, but I know there's some, you know, it, they have some weird rule where they don't actually, they have to like get a commitment or, or, or get a, an offer before they're added to the database or something. So um, his recruiting grade uh, is pending, I guess you could say. So whatever, it'll be interesting to see how he's used. Obviously you like him coming from NFL gene pools. So we'll take that any way we can get it. Um, the other one, of course, another local guy. So they are hitting the recruiting trail hard in the state of Arizona, Tristan Monday, uh, linebacker. I think he was currently, depending on how you look at it, he was the 11th best recruited player rated prospect in the state of Arizona at this point in time. That's a big win for the coaching staff. And then of course, Tyler Martin, um, who was a Don Brown recruit with the university of Michigan. Well documented at this point, Don Brown had recruited this guy since eighth grade, um, out of the Massachusetts area, the new England area. Um, Tyler Martin, four-star guy, all indications are pointing. He's coming to Tucson, which will be a major boost. That would be great. We'll take it. Uh, those three items of reporting, any thoughts before we end this thing? I, I think with Tristan Monday, my, my main thoughts are 
first of all, local kid rate rated 11th in the state, which is, you know, he's a three-star guy, but like a, a decently rated three-star guy, like a top 1000 nationally guy. And, and there's, yeah. if you're, if you're even in the preteen rate rankings in the state of Arizona these days, you're getting some legit D one talent, you know, we'll see how it pans out. Uh, but the other things from that is I'm, he's from Scottsdale Saguaro, which I think he's the first commit from Scott, from Saguaro high school here in, in the Phoenix area in like 20 years to go to U of a, like ASU's had that, you know, on lock if they were staying and A&M, Kevin, so yeah. had a lot of success with that too. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if, if you can pierce the dam of, of that talent pipeline, uh, that's, you know, that's, that's a, that's a long-term thing, not just for this 2022 recruiting class, but for future years. And I'm pretty sure one of the Saguaro coaches actually said Tristan Monday is one of the best players he's ever coached at Saguaro high, which great. You know, that's that there. I don't, I don't have the list in front of me, but I'm pretty sure that list is, uh, it's uh extensive. It's impressive. It's, that's a solid list. Um, yeah. so you know, you feel real good about that. I think he was on, uh, you know, with Justin Spears, our friends over at the Arizona Daily Star, the Wildcast podcast, and he sounded like a guy who's not just like dabbling in a commitment to Arizona. It sounds like he's he's in. Um, Love it. And uh, you know, we'll see if he ends up being an outside linebacker or a D end. It's kind of hard to project some of those guys. And then, yeah, uh, you know, uh, it's, it, Tyler Martin, you know. Four legit four star guy that was committed to Michigan when Don Brown was at Michigan. If he's good enough for Don Brown at Michigan, I think it's safe to say he's good enough to be a, a impact linebacker for Don Brown at Arizona. Um, and it should be noted that he just visited Arizona. So again, recording this on a Wednesday, he arrived in Tucson and an unofficial couldn't meet with the coaching staff. Um, but he was there from Monday, left today, Wednesday. By the time this thing posts, Brett, there might be a commitment, but I would expect probably pretty soon. I mean, he's talked openly about how loyal um, or how he appreciates the loyalty that Don Brown has shown him over the years. So I, that that seems to carry quite a bit of weight. So I think that that's a very promising sign for the uh, for Arizona. Yeah, hopefully the, uh, the 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 unseasonable, cool, rainy weather that has hit Arizona the last couple of days uh, subsides before he gets on a plane back to to. To Massachusetts, I think is where he's from, um, and uh, let him know that it's the weather here is delightful and worth the, the flight. <laughs> um, I'm, sh- I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure he. Yeah, he can. He can fathom. That's good. But uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> once again, I feel like Jed Fish is winning the narrative game and doing all the the, the right things that we want to see. Um, I think we'll have a much clearer sense in a few weeks as spring practice comes to an end, what this roster is going to be and whether you're going to owe me and Adam green, uh, you know, some beer if they win four games, I will happily pay up four games. I'm, I will have never been so excited to win four games. That, that's, Oh yeah, that'll be great. All right, Brett. Good show. Lots, lots to cover. Lots of excitement. Good luck. Coach Barnes and co. Um, hopefully next week when Adam returns, you guys will, Uh, be able to recap two awesome wins and preview a final four matchup. So everybody hang tight for that. Hopefully. Yeah. Thanks for filling in for Adam as a co co uh, co host and, and I would say replacement best friend, but we know you're just my real best friend. Even if if COVID has kept us apart, even though we don't even live that far apart from each other. That's true. (laughs) That, 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 that is 
100% true. Thank you for having me. Um, I, you know, I was happy to hop back on the bike and prove I still got it. So I, I was happy to help out. That's good stuff. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, bear down. Bear down.